Um, so these are these are relationships. And the reason I mention this is is because these are the people who were with me during those downtimes, mm-hmm. as well as the uptimes. And and it's nice that they were there then. It's nice that we just had a we just had an event this past weekend. Um, they were in town. It's nice for me to be able to take them to nice restaurants and be able to pick up the check without question or concern. Yeah. But in pre in previous meetings, I needed them to put gas in my car. So uh, you know, so ultimately it's the relationships that people build up. My name is Paul Harvey and this is Life, Passion and Business. We're about helping you explore, finding your passion for life and the work that you do. But it's so much more than that. It's about finding clues to the big life questions. What does it mean to be successful? What is the meaning of life? If you're looking for more, then join me on this journey, where together we will discover through interviews, tools and tips, how to live life full of meaning, passion and purpose. It has been said before, life is about collaborations, connections and the relationships that we build. And while it is possible to go through life alone, it would be a lonely journey. My guest in the show at the time of recording was in his 70th year and is still in daily contact with a friend he made from grade school. Yeah, they met when they were just four years old. Our conversation is a celebration of an ongoing journey. Paul Barron has 50 years of business experience and that was not the plan. He graduated college with a mathematics degree and became a teacher while studying for his master's. He also liked to play tennis at quite a high level and a tennis partner and friend pointed out there were no retail options for professional tennis players or sporting goods in their town. It was 1974 and everything in retail would be new. They opened the first of three pro tennis shops and Paul's path in teaching and mathematics came to an end as his life in business began. Over the last 40 years, he's been a product specialist, identifying gaps in the US market, working with companies in the UK, Australia, USSR and China to fill those opportunities. He's had successes and failures, but has always enjoyed the journey. Paul is your classic gentleman salesman, charming and full of stories. He's a mentor in the local startup community in Bloomington and sits on the advisory board for the business school at University of North Carolina. He never entirely left teaching behind. There's much to be learned from our conversation, like the changes that modern technology has brought into the sales journey, which he calls the new rules of selling. Paul has retired many times, but always finds a new reason to get back into business. The latest significant investment is a vertical printing machine that can print an image directly to a wall or any surface. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Paul Barron. This is life, passion and business. We're all about the journey. And I, I know you're a, a man of older years, shall we say, but you had a long, full life. Where did it all begin? Where did it all begin for you? You make it, you make it sound like it's more past than future. I guess uh, genealogically, that is probably the case. Um, yes, I, I just turned 70. Um, I have about 50 years of business experience um, after graduating college with a mathematics degree. Um, I survived the 60s, went through uh, 70s, establishing different businesses, 
um, when I found out that the corporate world was not suitable um, to the uh, energy and passion that I had for creating some value, not only for myself and my family um, and the relationships I had, but uh, I got into the, the business world early, owning some retail shops, um, owning being in the, the restaurant business. Um, I found that uh, business ownership has had its pluses and had its drawbacks. Uh, I found out early on the hats I like to wear and the hats I didn't like to wear. Um, and, and I think it was good learning experiences, both successes um, and what I call lesser excesses. I, I don't like to think of failures, um, but even though some, some might have not have been as financially rewarding as other ventures, uh, but they're all learning experiences. Well, that's and, the point, isn't it? It's about the journey at the end of the day. I mean, and, and the money is a nice bonus, isn't it? But the, if the journey is good, then it's actually worth doing, isn't it? In that respect. It is. And sometimes even at the end of the day, when the money isn't there, you can look if you can look back and say, this is what I accomplished. This is what I learned. This is who I met um, on that journey. Um, it, it became a lot more worthwhile mm. uh, than than what the alternative could have been. And for me, that alternative would have been just working for somebody else and and contributing to the uh, value add that my skill sets uh, would be able to contribute rather than directly uh, supporting my dreams. Mm. And so uh, so I got into various different businesses. I found out those hats that I like to wear were more of the sales and marketing, um, but yet I, I also were was able to identify um, very innovative products, technology, services um, that, that I didn't see very uh, mainstream adoption to. And so I, the last four decades, literally 30 to 40 years, I've been identifying products from foreign companies uh, and, and countries. Um, and of course, when I talk to somebody across the pond, um, I'm a foreign company and country to you. Um, but nevertheless, um, I've represented Russian company, uh, British company, Austrian company, Israeli company, um, Australian and Chinese. And I've taken products and services that they've had that I thought either were not available in the United States or added some value that otherwise wasn't here because of the nature of their product yeah. um, or service. And, so, and of course, companies in those in those countries sometimes don't have the capacity to do an export project, whereas someone turns up and says, I'd quite like to do that. It's manna from heaven for them, isn't it, in respect? Yeah, I mean, and, and again, a good example of exactly that, Paul, you're right on point there. Um, I worked for a U.S. company uh, in the, probably the last job that I that I had that I worked for a company, um, and it was for a, a U.S. technology company, and our biggest direct competitor was a Russian company. And we became, uh, I guess the, the expression is frenemies, um, where we traveled the same type of industry circuit, um, introducing our products um, to, to audiences, uh, where that, that aligned with, with our technologies and invariably just like Burger King and McDonald's or, you know, uh, to use that as an example, I hope it's appropriate um, in the UK, but, uh, you know, you, you have different different hamburger shops or pizza places or coffee shops yeah. or pubs, um, you know, they and they're, they're directly competitive with each other, but it attracts people to that area. So the trade show circuit was always like that, uh, where we would have our booth, they would have their booth, people would kick the tires for us, then kick the tires for them. And then at the end of the day, when the trade show was over and the dust settled on the wins and the losses and the, the maybes, we'd all go out for drinks, um, notwithstanding the fact that I could not keep up with the vodka capacity of my Russian yeah, comrades. Um, they were, the, the, as we say here in the US, these are professionals. Don't try that at home. Um, but nevertheless, we became friends. And after a while, they asked me a, a question that uh, I was kind of very proud to answer, 
at the time, well, I was reluctant to answer at the time, but the results made me very proud. Um, they said, you know, well, we can't understand it. Our technology is so much better than yours, but yet you're closing deals that we can't close. And so I said, no, it's very simple. You're Russian, I'm not. And, and I didn't mean that, and I didn't mean that in a derogatory way by any means, and more, more political. It just was the fact that um, the culture and the language and everything else, and this is to your point, Paul, was different um, in the United States. And so I was able to kind of adapt to the nuances of communication and uh, understanding the, the needs of my customers and the problems we're trying to solve. And despite the fact that their technology was, in fact, better than what I was selling, they preferred to do business with me. And that's, I think, really the, at the core of my journey um, mm -hmm. is the relationships I've been able to build, not only with competitors. It turned out, by the way, the end of that story is I worked, I, I ended up quitting the job for the American company because I like their technology so much. And I represented them for about 13 years in the United States. And, uh, and it was a wonderful relationship. We still to this day share um, and exchange um, birthday cards and holiday greetings. Um, but, but it's at the core of it is the relationship that was developed. And I think that's the case really for everything I've done. Even though I like to say to people, I am product agnostic, it doesn't matter what it is. You give me something, if I can be passionate about it, I will go ahead and, and, and find customers who can see value in, in what that product provides. And that's basically what I've done for four decades. I want to wind you back to the beginning because so, you, you did a math degree. So th that's quite a choice, a math degree. What, what was it about math that, that interests you? Well, to this day, um, to anybody who will listen, um, mathematics is at the core of everything. I yeah. Mean, I mean, generally, it really is. My wife is a musician. She's a classical pianist. Um, she, uh, and, and at the core of music, uh, the, the, it's very common that people who are good in math or good in music yeah. that, that fail to reach me. Uh, of course, I, I'm, I'm, I enjoyed listening to music, but I got thrown out of band early on in my life uh, oh, wow. for, for, the, for the band clarinet playing and um, other, other instruments that I attempted to, to um, show any sort of skill uh, at. But, but mathematics is really in everything that we do. And, and I, the short answer to your question, which I apologize, I rarely give short answers. Um, but the short answer is I like the logic. Of my favorite subject was geometry. Um, and probability and logic, um, and and I just liked that. I liked I liked reading philosophers um, early on, uh, but I always wanted to be a math teacher. Actually, not just enjoyed math, but I always wanted to be a math teacher. And when I graduated with my degree, that was the first job that I got was a math teacher. Oh, wow. However, I also had passion for playing tennis, and um, I put myself through college streaming tennis rackets for the athletic department, and uh, and so. Uh, I earned money doing that. And when I graduated and I became a math teacher, um, a good friend of mine who I played tennis with, he said, you know, this town, which is the town we went to college in, upstate New York, uh, in the U.S., we decided um, it didn't have any sporting goods or tennis pro shop for mm -hmm. people who were into the sport. And the town was, had a very, very passionate following um, of the tennis community. And so uh, we decided to open up a tennis shop together. And I was teaching and little by little, I became more enamored by the whole business process. That was my first business venture was a tennis retail shop. And I grew that to then three tennis shops um, in, the, in the region. I mean, this would have been when, the sort of like the 70s? That's what that was, I graduated college in 1973. Yeah. Um, I taught, taught for one year, started the tennis shops in 1974 in my second year out of the university. 
And then I uh, went for a master's in mathematics. Um, I never completed it because I got, nor did I complete the tenure track that I was on for my math teaching position. Because in the third year, which was my tenure year, um, I was devoting so much time to my retail shops yeah, yeah, yeah. that I had to make a decision which way to go. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I decided to go the retail business route. And 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 that time, you know, that 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 sports shops were kind of new, and they, they were they were not they were not that common. I mean, I, I remember this kind of no, and you certainly didn't have any of the big box stores. No, absolutely. Today. So, so I, I think in in terms of that opportunity at that time, it was quite unique, and you definitely had an opportunity to fly that kite because it was just a great opportunity. You know, the, the growth in that potential must be enormous. At that yeah, time. I learned I learned about business. I learned about, a lot about that. In fact, uh, because of the experience I, I gained in that process of not only establishing my own business but growing it also to three locations and three stores um it, it got on the radar of other people who saw what i was doing and in fact i got hired by a large company totally unrelated to sports it was actually in the jewelry business um and it was a kind of a family related business but uh the gentleman who owned it um he had a son who's my age and grew up with me and he wasn't very focused on the business and liked what I had done with my businesses. And he asked me what I come and consider working for him um, so that his son would see what working a business is really like. And so uh, he made me, as the, as the saying goes in the Godfather movies, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I sold out my, my interest in my tennis shops to my partner. And I went to work for this other company. And wow. that, that, was a, that allowed me to wear, once again, the sales and marketing hats without a lot of the business encumbrances, um, mm. because that was my role there. Uh, I spent two weeks in the factory overseeing customer orders, and I spent two weeks on the road getting customer orders, doing a lot of traveling, um, and that exposed me to, to a lot of aspects of sales, marketing that I had not previously known, because mm -hmm. I was still only 25 years old. Oh, wow. I was still, still in the 70s, and, uh, and, and I carried that through um, for quite a ways. I mean, for many of my listeners, I mean, all right, for, for many of my listeners, this sort of stuff, you know, goes out, doesn't go over their heads, but it's it's a time they don't, don't know anything about. You know, when I, when I when I started work, there was a telephone in the directory, and that was, the, that was in the 80s. In the 70s, you probably, you know, it's like, that's it. It was all about relationships, wasn't it? And, and so, so fast, Paul, a great point, and fast forward now um, 40 years to 2020. So here I am in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, I'm a mentor at the local um, incubators and startup community here. I sit on the advisory board of the local university here, University of North Carolina um, at Bloomington, their business school. And I'm asked to do a guest lecture every year. And the topic that I picked to exactly what you said, that I call it the new rules of selling. And, it, and, and the audience is their sales and marketing tracks of their business school. And uh, and what it basically does is it, it shows what was and what is. Mm. So whereas before we picked up a telephone, as you said, and you did telesales, telemarketing, um, and, and you, you went to buy a car, you went to the, the shop, you took a test drive, uh, you went to another car dealership, and you <coughs> took another test drive, and then maybe you ordered a car, you, know, you, you saw the car that you wanted right on the lot. Maybe you ordered a car, very rare that you did. Um, but that whole sales process was much more hands-on. Um, whereas today, everybody does their own searches. They're, they're doing their Google search. You want a car, you, you can research it. You can research the value of the car, uh, the selling price of the car. You can look up the different colors, the interior, the exterior, um, all the features and options it has. So that when you walk into that dealer, you've got your list. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to pay. <coughs> and, and that's the process now. 
and, and, and that whole middle ground has gone away where the sales process today goes from your exploration of the product or service you want to doing all of your own homework, going all of your own evaluation. Um, the telephone is replaced by, by the Facebooks and the comments and the review sites of the world. And so you go ahead and you go in the chats. What used to be a telephone conversation today is a chat. And what used to be, you know, responding to somebody is now a comment section and a, re and a response. And so it's these types of interactions that have replaced that sometimes face-to-face -face and more often the telephone conversation. Um, but it's, uh, it's just a new way that, that marketers have to know how to reach their audiences too. The whole aspect of social media that's evolved. And I love I love the technology that allows me to talk to you from across the pond and have this conversation. And I love the fact how we introduced each other. We have you know the systems and services that we find each other. But I do think we've lost something with the internet. I think we've lost something major. This I, is I, definitely only a middle ground. You know, I, I I was in the I was in a company in the eighties, and that company was a medium sized company in, in the UK. It employed I think about forty people at the time. It turned over about one and a half million people, uh, one and a half million pounds, or something like that. And it only did one advert a month in a magazine, and it sent out a catalogue once or twice a year to its client base. And that's all of the marketing it needed to do. Its customers knew it. It provided a really good service. And it didn't have to do anything else to sustain that and, and, and maintain a level of growth. And nowadays, you have to keep begging like crazy. <laughs> it's, the <difference. laughs> it's, the, it's the truth. I, um, I'm a newspaper fan. Um, yeah. I'm a fan of the printed newspaper. Yeah. And, and uh, my dad, my allowance growing up all, since you want to go back in time, um, if we go back 60, 65 years, my allowance growing up was my father gave me 25 cents a U.S. quarter. Um, I apologize. I don't know the analogy. Um, across the pond there. Um, but it's not we, a lot, is it, a US quarter? It's, it's, I mean, a dollar, no, a dollar but, is about 80 pence in this country, so a quarter there. So, is about so, I, so I, had, I received 80 pence from my father <laughs> uh, for every typo I would find in the New York Times. Wow. And now it was, it hit me only years later um, after accumulating the small wealth I did by finding all these typos. It only hit me years later that my dad's real objective was to get me to read. To, so today... Uh, to this day, I actually am an avid New York Times cover to cover reader on a daily basis. Um, and that started with my dad when I was the age of five. It's a lovely, it's a lovely trick, isn't it, to get someone to read? And, uh, it, it, it was, I tell that to people and they all do it with their children. Um, but, but to your point, um, fast forward now, 30 years, I'm in the world of business um, and I'm looking for different, different ideas and different ventures. And it, it killed me when, um, you know, all of what you've just described those catalogs and those, uh, you know, those interactions and the newspapers and the classified ads um, all were going away. Newspapers were closing all around, at least in the U.S. I don't know much. But I yeah, yeah. News, most newspapers are online. I mean, there are there are some newspapers well, about, but they don't make any money. They're desperate. That's correct. They're, they're, they, if they do make money, it's from the advertising online that switched from the print advertising. Mm. Uh, but, but those, and, and so that's still, that was and still is, of course, the, the bread and butter of of newspapers, but but it, they could not sustain the printed model 
And so they were closing down if they did not already have that online model to gravitate to. And so, um, so I started a business called Hometown Times, which was a community online newspaper. And, and getting the, all those, because all those people that were being laid off from newspapers, now I'm talking about um, early 2000s, um, when all these newspapers were closing down all across the United States. Um, and classifieds would now move from the newspapers to Craigslist here in the U.S. and, and other mm. places. Um, and so uh, all those, now there are all those people who are copywriters, editors, salespeople for these newspapers that were all being laid off, all out of work. And so I decided to create a, a franchise network of uh, online newspapers and allowing those people who were being put out of work to have ownership of their local online newspaper community. They still needed to get advertising because that was their income, that was their revenue source, but they would go to local, they would do everything locally and get the, you know, the local schools and hospitals and construction workers and roofers and landscapers and everybody to be their advertisers and retail shops and restaurants and all that. And so that's, that was a, that was a, a nice, it, it was, it made me feel good to do it. Um, I did well financially from it. And, uh, and then I exited that, uh, you know, after several years, after growing into about 500 local community sites. Um, but um, anyway. It, it, I guess, but it's, to me, it's all, for you, it's all about communication and connection, isn't it, with people? So that's, that what it's, it's, that's what your passion seems to be. It's that, and that's oh, the thing abs- that runs absolutely. through. Absolutely. What I'm doing today, um, three years ago, I, I, I identified once again, another, another product or service that I didn't find here in the U.S., and was just totally knocked over by uh, by how cool it was. Um, now, of course, let, let me let me preface what I'm about to say now. Every time I do that, because I've done this about literally about eight eight to nine times, where I've found a product and I've then gone crazy for it and reached out to the company and tried to tell them what value I could bring by representing that product here in the United States. I mean, I've done it most of the time as a hired gun. Sometimes I get an equity interest, but most of the time it was as a commission salesperson. Okay. And after doing this for about 20 years, I decided enough's enough. Um, well, I retired several times um, during that course of course of years. But at the same time, I also said, I really don't want to work for anybody else. And uh, it just wasn't in my makeup at this stage of my life. And so I, I basically just retired, but I still continue to look for things. And uh, so, it, but whenever I find something, uh, my wife, I, I called her up and I said, Maureen, come take a look at this. And instead of taking a look at it, she'd cut up my credit cards and hide my bank account. <laughs> because she said, uh-oh, here we go again. He's going to invest in something crazy. And so, uh, but this time she liked it. And so, uh, so this time I found a product called a, a vertical printing machine, which I call the wall printer, which is my trademark name now for it. This was three years ago. And it was a machine that I found in China. Um, it only existed in a handful of companies uh, around the world making such a machine that, like the picture you can see behind me, um, it, it's a, it's, it puts wall art onto any wall, indoors wow. or outdoors. And I just fell in love with it, and I, I bought the rights to this machine for the entire Western Hemisphere. And that's what I'm doing now. And so uh, this may very well be my last hurrah, but uh, the reason I, I, I launched into this little description of this phase of my life was because what you said is about the relationships. This gives me not, the, not only the opportunity to do what I've always done, take an innovative product and find an audience that did not exist yeah. for that product, but it also gives me the opportunity to develop business opportunities for other people. And so today, the first year, of course, 
I'd like to say I'm some kind of a genius, but I'm not, certainly because I started this business, which was importing products from China, and it was a product that nobody's ever seen or heard about. And I decided to do this in December of 2019, when in January of 2020, mm. COVID mm. came around and the world stopped. So here I am with a six to seven figure investment in something that um, nobody knows about, nobody cares about, nobody can see. Um, it wasn't like buying a, a donut shop or a chicken place or a restaurant where people could go and see, is this the kind of business I want to be in? Um, nobody knew what a vertical printing machine was without seeing it, touching it. So for 10 months in 2020, um, but I was all in because that's how crazy I am. And uh, so I started, while everybody else was laying people off in COVID and people working remotely, I started hiring all of my team. And I started bringing on the, the support team, the marketing team, and the sales team. And uh, knowing that one day things would change in, in our um, in the, in the medical situation mm. that was the result of this, this uh, pandemic. And so sure enough, around July or August of last year, just a little more than a year ago, people started traveling first close to where I am in the Southeast United States. But then little by little, through our marketing, we were attracting people from pretty much all over the world. And, uh, and, and people were coming here to see us. And now, one year after beginning to sell these machines, we're in 50 markets throughout North and South America. And even a little bit, I just actually am in the process of shipping a machine to the Faroe Islands near you. Uh, we have a machine in Northern Ireland as well. And, uh, and so, uh, and there's a distributor now in the UK. So basically you're selling the machine and it becomes the, a business for them to go out and print walls and that sort of thing. And so it's great, it, for, not, it's great for an artist to have this capacity to actually print their material to a wall. Yeah, for the, for the graphics artist, the designer who's creating digital images, as most artists do these days, because <clears> taking <throat> pen to ink to wall or to canvas even, um, they're usually doing something digitally these days because of the nature of technology. Um, so there's that audience, but there's also the, there's also the audience of people who are in adjacent, what I call industries or, or businesses of adjacency, like general contractors or house painters, um, people who know their customers uh, because they built them a home or painted their home or office and now know that there's a child likes action figures or a, uh, a husband who likes Wimbledon and they, they want these graphic images on that. On yeah. The I can see so, I can see a lot of opportunities for restaurants and that's also who want good walls. Yeah. Even if it's just logos, logos or people's <clears throat> yeah. names on the walls, you can do anything. And it's I guess it's quick and really fast and just well, it's quicker than a painter. Yeah. You know, but 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 again, to the painter who says you're taking food off the table by having a machine that does this, nothing could be further than the truth because you still have to create the art. And you still all it does is allows them to do just that, yeah, be yeah, creative yeah. and allow the machine to just faithfully, reliably produce their art. Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah. So it sounds like you've had a, 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 you know, you've, you've retired many times by the sounds of it. <laughs> well, sometimes, sometimes by my own initiative, sometimes uh, reluctant, but yes. Yes. And you, and retirement doesn't suit you by the sounds of it either. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I, I am passionate about tennis still. Um, the, the package is not deceiving. I'm not in the kind of shape you are, um, but, um, but I still can get out there and play two hours of singles uh, oh, yeah. a couple of times a week. Um, I, I still swim a mile in the pool every uh, about four days a week. Um, so I, and I do open water swimming events. Um, so I, I keep busy, but, uh, but I like business and I also like being around the people. And now to your point of what you said earlier, things have changed so much. Most of the people that work for me are, are, um, Recent college graduates, um, young people, are getting themselves into the world, doing yep. what I did 
40 years ago. And I enjoy the energy I get from them as well. That's wonderful. So, uh, so that's, that's something that gives me a lot of satisfaction, which keeps me out of the retirement pool. So how do you define success for yourself? How did I find it? How do you define success? How do I define success? Um, I mean, it could be, I appreciate it could be sales, but, but, and, and. No, 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 I don't, that's, that's, that's what you do. That's not, that's really not who you are or what, what drives it. Um, what, what defines success for me um, is a combination of the success that I can create for others because it, it may be a trite expression, but, you know, um, doing good is getting good. And I don't think, I, I think I probably butchered that expression um, by that, but, um, but if, if, you can, if you can provide, um, if you can solve somebody's problem, yeah. you can solve somebody's problem. And that somebody could be a person, it could be a job, it could be a business. Um, I don't care what, what it is, but if you can solve a problem and add value, um, that to me it is you have done something that I consider successful. And then if there's fi- financial um, remuneration, if there's financial benefit as a result of, of that activity, um, all the better because here in the U.S. we are capitalists, we have a lot of options, uh, things to do to spend money. So you, it's nice to have money. Um, but, but I've been broke and I've been rich by, by most people's standards. And I, I've been happy um, in, both those, in both those situations. Um, I'm more happy when I've got money in my pocket. Well, we all are, absolutely. Truth, but, truth, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's also the shit bits that define us, isn't it, really? I mean, you know, sort of like... Yeah, but, the, but that's, not, that's not what defines us. What defines us... It, it, defi- it's all, it defines it's all about out. the relationships. It is, but it's the, as I said, it's, the, it's, the, it's, those, it's coming through those tough times is what defines us. It kind of... Well, you know, and what's brought me through those tough times... Ultimately, it has not been just my own skills or my own confidence that, yes, I can sell something and somebody will always pay you when you're selling something. But working for people is not always what I wanted to do. Yeah. I always wanted to do things on my own. Yeah. And so, so what really brought me through all those times was the fact that I had family and friends um, that, that were on my side, yeah. um, which is, the, is just the easiest way to put it. So I've been, uh, I, I, don't, I don't say that that's a formula for success or how somebody might define success. But for me, the relationships that I've been able to build up uh, before this call started, we talked about, you know, I participate in a real aid triathlon. Um, there are two other members. I do the swimming. I've got a friend who does the biking. He was my college roommate 40 years ago, um, 73, um, yeah, almost 50 years ago. Wow. I, I should, my, my math background, I should know that. Um, but yeah, 50 years ago, he was my college roommate. 70 years ago, um, when I was born, um, the, the person who I became best friends with in, in grade school at the age of four or five, who I still talk to literally every day, every day. We communicate. He's in New York. I'm in North Carolina. Um, but we, we speak every day. He's the runner of our group. And so, um, so these, are, these are relationships. And the reason I mention this is, is because these are the people who were with me during those down times mm-hmm. as well as the up times. And, and it's nice that they were there then. It's nice that we just had a, we just had an event this past weekend. Um, they were in town. It's nice for me to be able to take them to nice restaurants and be able to pick up the check without question or concern. Yeah. But in pre in previous meetings, I needed them to put gas in my car. So uh, you know, so ultimately, it's the relationships that people build up. And I always tell people. I guess another 
again, expressions from the past. Be nice to the people you see on the way up because they're the same people you're going to see on the way down. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and that that is an absolute truth. Yeah, um, and so so for all those people who, who act cocky and, uh, and arrogant because of their success, that's that's not that's not my network of people. Yeah. My, my success questions is not about helping other people define success. It's about actually having a measure for success because it's like and having a measure for success that is yours. It's your personal measure because I, I have met too many people that thought success was something because someone else told them it was. And when they got there, it was very disappointing. Hmm. Well, for me today, it's about how many likes my company gets on the on the Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's 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 the metric for my staff and for me. Um, how many people really follow me and like me? Um, <laughs> you know, I to say, that's a bit ephemeral, and you're destined to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, the that's... algorithm will change, or they'll or they'll take them away, or something stupid, and then you won't. Like, oh, I don't know. Anyway. On, a, on a daily on a daily basis, it does. You know me. My measurement steps is I go get to go home and I get to sleep at night, and uh, and I and I think that I've done good that day, and I think the people that have been uh, I've been lucky enough to have in my life, whether it be customers or friends. Uh, or family um, that they too uh, regard regard this journey together as being something that has had more ups and smiles than downs and frowns. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's that's really my only measurement. I know the answer to this next question, but I've got to ask it because it's on the list. How do you contribute to the world? Hmm. Uh, you know, I think I make people smile. Hmm. That's. Uh, that, that, that's it. Um, you know, I, 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 I like people. I like being out and about. I, there's nothing I'm going to ever be remembered for, um, for, for having accomplished anything great. Uh, I'm sure that question could be answered by, by people who really leave a mark of, of, of developing a product or technology or, um, or, or give back, um, all of which I admire greatly. Um, but I, 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 I take care of the people um, who are in my life, whether whether those are people that I know, people that work for me, uh, or people that um, are family, or people I don't even know. Um, when I encounter somebody who needs a helping hand, um, you know, I like to think in all those areas, um, I make people smile, mm -hmm. and uh, and if and and no nobody is going to be the worst off after having either a conversation with me or a meeting with me, and uh, and and that's that's all I can say. I can back and say that that was an accomplishment well, the contribution you you give is that is the relationships you've fought over the years and 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 the benefits of those brought brought people to. and you know you never know where things come from you know no, and back. you never know that you never know the impact you have you know just making someone smile yeah. for one day can change their life and you don't you know i had either you know, if i look back and i said you know what impact did i have so when I, and i'll go back to the since you seem to have hit on the math part of things in my early math teacher career so i'll give you two quick stories about that um so one, one student that I had, this was when I taught 10th grade geometry back in 1973. Um, one of my best students, I have two students that stood out above all the others. They were, they were excellent students and, uh, and the best ones in my class um, academically. I didn't know them personally at all. But, um, one of them was on, both of them actually, I was the, the coach of the bicycle club of the high school that I was teaching at. And they were both on the, the, that team as well, probably because they liked math. Um, that they, they did something else that I was involved in. Um, 
because they weren't very good bicyclists, but then again, neither was I. Um, but it was just a, it was a club. And so, uh, so that was the only relationship I had with them between my classes and that. Fast forward literally 30 years. I'm out of New York, um, which is where I, I taught. Um, I'm living in Florida. Um, I had just previously, the previous summer, I had taken my wife for a trip back to my college town and for a tour of where I went to school and where I taught, um, just a, a trip back down memory lane, so to speak. And we were sitting in a pub um, in my college town, and there was a woman in the booth next to me, and she must have heard my talking in my, my New York dialect or whatever. And, and, and there, we were the only ones in this restaurant. It was like three in the afternoon between lunch and dinner hours. And she, she said, is that Paul Barron? And I, and I, and I turn around, and it was, it was this woman, Pat, who was the... Uh, um, was my mentor and who I student taught with and then got me my first teaching job. And there she was in the summer in this restaurant and we exchanged cards. Hi, how are you doing? It's been 25 years since we saw each other after I left teaching. And that was that. Now we, I go home to Florida. I'm sitting in my office and I get a, the phone rings. And this man says, Paul Barron. And I said, yes. And he goes, are you the Paul Barron who taught math at Roy Ketchum High School? Um, and I said, yes, but who's this? He goes, well, 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 before I get to that, he says, he says, I just want to make sure that I'm talking to the right person. And, uh, and, and, uh, and he says, I don't know if you'll remember me. He goes, but I was one of your students. And I said, oh, and then he tells me his name. And I said, oh, sure, Bob, I remember you very well. I go, how are you? What do you do now? Understand, Paul, this is 25 years afterwards. We've yeah. gone on with our lives. And so uh, and I said, how are you? What are you doing? He goes, well, I'm a teacher now. And, and I said, oh, you're, you're teaching math? He goes, well, no, I'm an English teacher. And he goes, he goes, but this was the last day of school. It was in June. It was the last day of school. And some of the students were coming into the office. And two girls had just come in and said to him, Mr. Dominiani, you know, we had a very nice year, blah, blah, blah. They were having a conversation. And one of the topics that came up, they asked, how did you get involved in teaching? And he said, you know, I got involved in teaching because of this guy. He goes, and you know, I've never thanked him. And so... I get, I get terribly thinking about this story. So I apologize to, That's fine. to, you, and, to you and your audience. It's a beautiful story. And so, so he says to me, because, you know, I never thanked him and I never spoke. But I'm going to try to find out where he, where he is now and I'm going to give him a call. So he calls up the high school, which I haven't been in for 25 years. And, the and, it's, the last, and yeah. it's the last day of school. So he asks for the math department. And the only person in school, because school was let out already, the only person sitting there was this woman, Pat, was in the math department's office and he gets on the phone and he says, do you know where Paul Barron is? And he introduces himself. And she goes, funny, you should ask. <laughs> Two weeks ago, he was here and I saw him and he gave me his business card. Here's his phone number. And so that's, so he got his phone number, my phone number and called me up. And it turns out he's running for Congress in New Jersey and he's doing all these other things. And we start talking about, do you get, do you, are you in touch with any of the other people from the high school? He goes, well, the only other one was Keith Lockhart. And Keith Lockhart was the um, was the other guy who was the my best student. Uh, these, these two boys, Bob and Keith. And I said, "Oh yeah, Keith. Whatever happened with him?" And he goes, "Well, he just got Arthur Fiedler's position at the Boston Pops. He's the conductor of the Boston Pops." And I said, "Well, really? I didn't even know he was into music or anything." He goes, "Well, apparently nobody else did either, but he is, and he's extremely successful. And he's now the and he still is today the uh, conductor of the Boston Pops." And, wow. uh, and he took over off a of feed loop. He was very famous here in the U.S. Uh, in that position for decades. 
And so, um, anyway, those were those are my two success stories from other people. Well, they're beautiful they stories, aren't they? And it's and it's and I, and and I don't take credit. I don't no. take credit for for either one of those and the accomplishments that they've done in their lives. No, it's but not they, about that, is it? Though, but it's about what what it just brings home, though, isn't it? Is that we don't know what we create. That that one thing that we do, that one nice act of kindness that we do, that thing we do ripples out into the future and we don't know what effect it can have and, and you don't and you and you probably in most cases never will never will which is another reason i like telling that story because the odds of him actually finding me 25 years later because of the way he got my phone number is just remarkable well that's one of the gifts the universe has given you i think yes. <laughs> there you go. exactly along with this conversation with you okay so what's the one question you like people to ask you the one question i like hearing is can you help me with this? Yeah, I can see that would I can see that would be interesting for you as a, as a salesman. That would be interesting for you. Yeah, so okay. because because most of what I've done has been the result of people asking me, "How do I do this?" Hmm. or or "Can you help me with this?" Because then, even and again, this if I if I if I ever if I ever choose to pat myself on the back, which I rarely do, the only the only reason I would pat myself on the back is because I very, I can't really recall any situation where somebody has asked me that question, where whether it has something to do with whatever I'm involved in or whatever my experience is, I'll try to find out. I, I could imagine also that you, if you couldn't help, you would know someone that could. I would know someone or I would try to find out. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's the last thing I would ever do. The last thing I would ever do is just say, and, the, and, the, and what I hate and what I, uh, well, what I would hate to do is say, I don't know. Yeah. But, and, and the reason I was, I was hesitant there in finishing that sentence is because one of the things I tell my salespeople today and have for all the time is just never hesitate to tell somebody you don't know. If you don't know the answer, don't try to fake it. Don't try to tell them anything other than I don't know. Um, but what you do with that, go to the next step, help them find out, yeah. find out what, what the answer is. I don't is. know, but I know someone that can probably help is the answer. Right. Yeah, it is. That's, so that's the, how do people find out more about you and your services and what you offer? Well, uh, hopefully one thing you took away from this is that I'm fairly transparent, maybe to the point of uh, annoyance, <laughs> but uh, I, can, I can be very transparent. My, my life is an open book on LinkedIn, uh, which is the professional network that a lot of people use. And I, yep. I, do, I do encourage that from the people that I, I mentor at the college level these days is that very quickly when, you go, when you're about to go into the world and don't know what you want to do or, don't, or can't imagine what your life will become, um, get on LinkedIn. And this isn't an advertisement for it. It's just a fact that like, Facebook is a very social network. LinkedIn is a very professional network. And you know nobody, nobody posts cat pictures and dog pictures or what they had for dinner. Uh, I'm not the, sure the, that's quite true. I think people are starting to post cat pictures and dog pictures on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, if, if, if they do, I, if they do, I've been fortunate enough to avoid. Uh, and I, and believe me, I am the first one to post my dog's pictures anywhere I can. But it's, but it's always on Facebook and to my family. I think you're right. It's a nice business network with a business focus, but I think it's the edges have softened over the last few years. It's not quite. And, so, and, and, it's and, not and quite so stuff as it used to be <laughs> that that's and that's what happens with volume for sure um but 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 to answer your question if somebody wanted to connect with me or find out about me it's all there on linkedin Lovely. It's, a, it's, okay. a, it's an accurate chronology of paul Barron's journey um you know from a business perspective it, it has a little bit I, in fact i go all the way back I, and you can find my kindergarten 
my kindergarten report card. Oh, well, posted okay. on LinkedIn. Okay. And that's, basically, and that's basically because a very good friend of mine who was a mentor of mine um, some 20, 30 years ago, um, very successful businessman by most people's standards, um, the oil and gas business, um, he gave me a birthday present of the book, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. kindergarten. Um, and, book. Um, and, that's, and that's still very true today. And so, um, so I went out and my mother saved and gave me my kindergarten report card. And when I reread it, um, I said, you know, not much has changed. <laughs> this, this, this pretty much accurately, both good and bad. Um, but, you know, it's Paul plays nice with other people. He's not very good with uh, his musical instruments. Um, but it, it had all that back then when I was five and six years old. So that's on my LinkedIn page along with everything else. Yeah, I think mine would say I talk too much, and it's probably true. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> so, if they want to, if you want to find out more about your your uh, wall printer, how where would they find the details for that? Yeah, thank you for asking. Thewallprinter.com. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, all those yeah. links. Are you on Twitter as well, or is it just LinkedIn for you? I, I use I use pretty much LinkedIn. Um, my business uses Facebook page. Uh, again, if you did a Google search, as long as my people are doing their job properly, and you search for the wall printer. You'll find me. Okay. Um, so all those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. So do check out Paul because he's an interesting guy. Do check him out on LinkedIn and have a look at that printer because I've seen it in operation. And it's a very pretty You know, that's going to be, well, that's going to be my epitaph. He was an interesting guy. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so, my friend, I get to the last question that we ask everybody, you know, and, uh, you know, and everyone, some people don't even have an answer for this or never even think about it. But yeah, you, you've been around a while. You've probably got some viewpoint on this. What's the meaning of life for you? Meaning of life for me, I basically said it all already in this conversation. I mean, the meaning of life for me is, is being good to yourself, being good to others. Um, and uh, we're all here for a reason. Most of us are not sure what that reason is. Um, you've asked some great questions, Paul, as to, you know, what, you know, what mark do you think you want to leave or, or, you know, what have you accomplished that, you know, that makes you, you, um, you know, for me, the meaning of my life, uh, the, or the meaning of life in general, um, I hope it, I hope it's that we all just get along, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much more, uh, there's so much more in people um, that we give each other credit for mm. that everybody is so concerned about the differences between people, whether it's politics, whether it's, color of their skin, whether it's their religion, uh, whether it's their health, um, well-being. Um, everybody's so focused on those differences that they, they very rarely look at the commonalities we have. Mm -hmm. And to me, the meaning of life is that we do have commonalities. Right. And if we would just look for those and find it, we would have, we would have that measure of success um, in either our work lives, our personal lives. And, uh, and that's what it's about. We're, all, we're only about our time here. You know, you and I are lucky, you know, you've, you've managed to get through 58 years. Me, like my triathlon team, which I, I named the 60 survivors um, for two reasons, because I survived the 60s um, and I'm grateful for that. And, and I turned 60, although now I've turned 70 now, but I'm not going to change the name of the team. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we've, we've traveled quite a number of years yes. and, and, we've, and we've seen quite a lot, um, both good and bad. And uh, in people and countries and, and opportunities, and uh, just just be good to each other. God, you know, there's just nothing. There's nothing more important than that. I agree. That's the meaning to me. You know. 
Paul Barron, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's been a joy to talk to you. Paul Harvey, thank you for uh, finding me and introducing me to you and your audience. And I hope that you and I will stay in touch as well. Absolutely. All the best. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Paul Barron. If you would like to find out more about the printing machine or just connect with Paul, check out thewallprinter.com. You can also find Paul on LinkedIn, as he mentioned in the podcast. He's a big LinkedIn user. You can also find more about the printer on Facebook and on Instagram. Now, all of those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. And while you're there, do check out the five questions under the resources tab. It's a workbook based on the five questions of the podcast. And in my opinion, it is the base point for creating the life you want to live. So do check that one out. And that's it from me for this week. So thank you so much for being on this journey with me. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please give us five stars on the app of your choosing and share it with a friend if you can. So that is it from me. As always, thank you so much for your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.